Hey guys, if you have an interest in developing games, consider joining the WU Game Developers Club. We don't have any more meetings this semester, but we should be back this fall and we'll be meeting every week. It's a great, open, friendly environment. You don't have to have any prior development experience. Take it from me. When I joined, I had no game development experience, and now I've put out nearly three games. If you're interested, go to gamedevclub.orgs.wvu.edu to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Game Talk. I'm your host, Ammon Mion. This week, I'm joined by Connor Haynes. Hey, guys. And Michael Dumeyer. Hello. Game Talk's your weekly show where we talk about the gaming industry and anything game-related. Um, this week, our first topic is arcades. Um, arcades became highly popular in the early 80s. Uh, we all grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, right? So yeah. we kind of missed that wave, but I'm sure we've all been to or experienced an arcade in our lifetimes. Um, Connor, uh, off the air, you actually just mentioned you were in an arcade recently. Yeah. Uh, this weekend, I was at an arcade in Morgantown here called Bent Willie's, and uh, I gotta say, it was fun. It was mostly pinball, um, but, you know, that's still right. an arcade game. But uh, I was I was enthralled. I was at Miss Pac-Man the whole time. Oh, yeah. They had an original Miss Pac-Man, and it was... 25 cents all the newer games for 50 cents so mm-hmm. i only have like two bucks so i was on miss pac-man why do you guys think that arcades have kind of like faded from relevance i mean my guess is that the rise of like console gaming i mean you have video game consoles at your house you have games on your phone there's no real need for a dedicated place to go to play games with people anymore right so i is think that fair to say yeah i think you're right there but I, I still think there's an appeal to an arcade. Oh, there certainly is. There's I nothing like, else like it. Like, I saw people competing for high scores and stuff, and I, like, wanted to be a part of that. But yeah. th- all the games that they offered, you're right, I could play at home. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like a, a big part of the reason they've fallen away from the mainstream is that in the 80s, they offered an experience that was far better than a home gaming exactly, experience. Exactly, yeah. And they could still do that, but they choose not to. No, they, they could do that, but when that be an exorbitant price i mean maybe you know? but like i mean an arcade cabinet's already fairly expensive putting better parts inside of it i don't think would increase the cost that much i mean at all the arcade machines you see regularly they're all ancient yeah and i think that's the sort of and for for arcades that are open today that's the sort of draw right sort of capture that golden era nostalgia you know i don't think so i think i would be really interested and I certainly no, I certainly would be too. And that kind of like brings up the point of barcades. You know, have you ever been to one? Well, I haven't. Um, well, I mean, this had a bar in it, so I don't know if it counts. Yeah. But like, um, so this topic was actually requested by one of our listeners, and he brought up the really good point of it, if there were more barcades around, he would he would certainly think that they would be popular. Like, he found a barcade in his hometown. And he went there, and he said he had a really great time. And I think a barcade targeted towards people that are, you know, in their 20s and 30s that sort of grew up with video games, it could be a very effective establishment, a very successful establishment, you know? Um, so I wonder why we don't see more of those. I feel like that's an easy solution to sort of bringing back the glory of arcades. Um, you, you have something to say, Michael? 
Yeah, like the whole thing about barcades is like you go there and there's a huge appeal to some people about getting drunk and playing a video game. And when you can do it in the same place with a bunch of other people, I think there's definitely appeal there. Like I personally would do it. It just seems fun to get particularly drunk and then compete with other people who are equally drunk to try and get high scores. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's it's more the, like, it's bringing that social aspect back to arcade gaming while still keeping it relevant because I think people our age and a little older, I mean, when they when they go out for entertainment, they usually go to bars and such. So combining those two things together, I think, could only be a massive success. I know they're, I, I think arcades are sort of seeing a small resurgence with the emergence of these barcades, but... You don't see them out, say, for outside of like big-ish cities. I think. Right, and like, we're we're talking from an American perspective, but arcades are still big in Japan, I believe. Really. Like, I think Sega still makes a ton of arcade machines, and I, I think Nintendo even has some mm-hmm. in Japan, and that's super interesting and all. And they did what I was saying before. They offer like a high fidelity experience. You know, it's not something you could do on your PS4. Right. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to see, um, you know, VR arcades. That could be a very cool thing, you know? I think, um... You gotta worry about pink eye. (laughs) Yeah, you have to wipe it down with hand sanitizer and stuff every single time you use it, but I think that'd be a very cool way to sort of bring VR, the, the appeal of VR to a more mainstream setting, so more people can check it out and see what it is while also kind of giving a boost to arcades and I agree. bringing them a, out of stagnation. I think that hasn't happened yet because the um, the opportunity cost, I think is the word, it's, it's a really high starting cost. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you if, know, and the software doesn't exist either. So they wouldn't just, they'd have to build the building. They'd have to make the game. The library of like, games definitely needs to expand before that becomes, I think, a viable option. And also, like, you can't make a normal game and play it in an arcade. Like, it has to be custom-tailored to that distribution model. Mm-hmm. So, you can't, like... Like, you wouldn't go to an arcade and play Skyrim. It would be stupid. Yeah, no, uh, that's... Arcades are better uh, suited for more social games, certainly. Um, just kind of bringing you back to the VR idea, um, it would be cool to do it, but, again, kind of running into the, the wall of cost, you know? How expensive would it be to furnish your arcade with a couple dozen VR sets with all the accessories that go along with that, keeping them stocked full games too? I don't know if you could justify the cost of that. I also don't think you could be a barcade with VR. I don't think... Would that be something entirely new then? Well, I don't think you... Yeah, I mean... Because VR is inherently not a social activity. I think a arcade could be cool. Yeah, but it you couldn't serve alcohol there for sure. I think that would be that would be dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. People would be throwing up. Yeah, very easily, and also like just falling probably. Right. Um. So, kind of getting back to the topic of arcades, do you all have any uh, you know favorite arcade games or memories of arcades when you were little? I personally, um, there was an arcade where I grew up that kind of. You know, it had the arcade games, but it also had laser tag, and it also had, you know, racing. So it'd be a fun little place for me and my friends to go, like, on the weekends, uh, like, collect tickets, maybe uh, play some laser tag. Um, I don't have any, like, memories of specific games 
But all I do remember is that the majority of the games that I played were social. Uh, and, um, I mean, that's that's my experience. What about your alls? Um, I would say I don't have a ton of arcade experience. Mm-hmm. I distinctly remember hating Chuck E. Cheese as a kid. Right. Like, I, I loathed that place, and I, like, just hated every birthday party my friends had there. Right. But this weekend, I had a pretty good time hanging out, watching some people play pinball, playing Miss Pac-Man. I played a... Some karate. I think it might just be called karate. It's, okay. It's like one of the. Was it a fighting game? Yeah, it's a fighting okay. game, and it's just a guy in a white gi and a guy in a red gi, and your move sets are identical, and you mm-hmm. fight. It was pretty fun. It was, you know, a quarter. What about you, Michael? Uh, well, unlike Connor, I actually enjoyed Chuck E. Cheese's as a kid, mm-hmm. and that was my major arcade experience, other than like Valley Worlds of Fun down in Fairmont. Like, there's not a lot of big arcades around Morgantown. I completely forgot that Chuck E. Cheese is an arcade. Yeah, it's it, that's because it's awful. <laughs> yeah, I've had some bad memories. I had this like guy in his like mid thirties, late early forties, really overweight, sat on a go kart game the entire time we were there. We were there like for like three or four hours, and he did not move. He just mm. sat there. There was a line of kids behind him. Yeah, that's not a very good look. I just yeah. remember how bad the pizza was. Uh, Ski ball is fun though. Ski ball, Chuck E. Cheese always has. Yeah, Ski ball is pretty cool. Oh, that's a good game. They also had um, uh, what's it called? Air hockey. Air hockey. Yeah, good. and that's fun. I don't really think of arcade. So, like, yeah, that's another thing. Like most quote unquote arcades that I've been to have had these other things. So do you think maybe a, something that could make these places more successful is the addition of non-game elements? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, I think so, too, but then, like, I heard recently that the one I went to as a kid is closing down, so I'm like, I guess it wasn't enough. I don't know. I don't know enough about the business side of things, I guess, to say one way or another. Yeah, I mean, arcades, I mean, they're certainly a cool relic of the past, but they're, they've definitely been on a steep decline ever since they're the height of their popularity, and that I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, even with the introduction of barcades, unfortunately. No, I think, I mean, I think most media, it's... I mean, you got to take a step back from video games and see, like, theaters had to change recently. Right. Because people didn't want to go out to watch a movie anymore. <clears throat> yeah, that's an increasing just social trend that yeah. everything's available at your fingertips now, and you have less and less reasons to leave the house. But uh, the theaters reacted by some of them dropped prices. Mm-hmm. Some of them became, like, a luxury experience. Like, they sold you. Serve you food and all of yeah, that. They, yeah, they sold you. Like, they got better chairs. They got better sound systems. Like, they really sold you on the experience because suddenly they had competition. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, in an abstract kind of way, arcades need to take a step back and look at the same thing if they want to survive or want to come back. But it's not a simple thing. Maybe an arcade could just sort of turn into like a dedicated place where you could just go with your friends to play multiplayer games. Like I mean, what if an arcade just had like 10 GameCubes and like five Xboxes and controllers to furnish like all of your needs? You know, what do you guys think of that idea? Kind of like a like a cyber or like a cyber cafe, as they're called now. Like those are very popular over in the Koreas. It, yeah, they're very like, not over here in Latin though. America right? as well. Yeah, mm. a lot of people enjoy that, and we don't have a lot of those here because who knows? I actually, my hometown did have one of those. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I actually had a birthday party at one. Oh, nice! And um, they had like twelve gaming PCs that were really nice, and they had like a big projector room with like. Uh, I forget what the main consoles were at the time. I think it was early in the PS3, Xbox 360, and Wii life cycle. Okay. And, like, it was, it was awesome. It was, you know, 
a good place to be, but they went out of business. Yeah, there seems to be a trend there. Yeah, it was a good time, but like, I don't know. I think they overestimated their market by having that many PCs because I never saw that many people there. Right. Yeah, and I don't know. Uh, sorry? Four Horsemen at the mall here actually has gaming PCs in it, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't know how high-end they are because I think mostly they're playing League of Legends on them. Mm-hmm. But they have like 10 of them, I think. Yeah, for, I think for hosting tournaments. it'd be wise for an aspiring barcade to sort of aim for a small, like, kind of private venue. And if the popularity and, like, the attendance is there, then maybe think about expanding because the, ma- the, the demand certainly is less than we'd like it to be. I think I think Four Horsemen uh, Four Horsemen is a comic book shop here in Morgantown, and I think they have the right idea though, like because they it's not their only income, right? So they have other stuff going on, but like the arcade. So they're a shop and or and yeah. An so arcade. like the arcade would give me a reason to come and hang out and all, and you know comic shops have been doing this for years. They have D and D, they have other stuff. They give you a reason to hang out, and then they also sell you stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, maybe a business model other places could adapt to have arcades. Right. Any concluding thoughts, guys? I think I've said everything I have. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's unfortunate to see something so beloved kind of reduced to the city it is now, but there are definitely places out there, dedicated places out there that keep, um, keep arcades alive and sort of there are places that you can go to if you ever kind of want to step back in time into a more... Uh, you know, popular era for that sort of thing. All right. Um, Our next topic is licensed games. Um, So licensed games are any game based on an already existing IP that's licensed by the game's publisher. And the most common example of a licensed game is like a movie tie-in game. You know, like, for example, the Incredibles movie comes out and within a few weeks of the movie coming out, the Incredibles game comes out. Um, And licensed games... like really kind of have a reputation for being mediocre um i think mediocre is a nice word yeah really just (laughs) god awful in every sense of the word with some notable exceptions um but um i kind of want to talk to you guys about um why that is and if uh, what your experiences with playing licensed games are if you actually enjoy any I, I think real quick we should all just say our favorite licensed game we've ever played oh gosh okay so uh, I'll, I was, I'll start yeah um, mine is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game. Okay. It's like a Battletoads clone, almost. It's like you just play as the characters from Scott Pilgrim, and you get to punch people on the street. Was streets. it actually good, or was it... Oh, it was amazing. It, oh, I love okay. it. I still play it. Nice. It, uh, yeah. It had a soundtrack by Anamon Gucci, which is a pretty big deal. It, uh, <laughs> it was just a really good game. I mean, and it actually told a different story than the movie or the books. Nice. That's always it had appreciated. It yeah. you know, A little bit of creative... Yeah. Difference is definitely appreciated. A lot of love was put into that game. What about you, Michael? Honestly, I really enjoyed the Simpsons game. Nice. Which one? uh, The newest one. The movie? Based on the movie? It wasn't based on the movie. It was like its whole unique experience. And it did licensed games well, where it took the whole universe and added its entirely new experience while putting like little references to episodes here and there. Hmm. the one that immediately comes to mind was Spider-Man 2 from oh, PS2. Yeah. I I've, really, yeah. really enjoyed that game. And it was it was entirely based off the plot of the movie, the Sony movie that came out around the same time. But just, I think it was one of the first games to really kind of capture the sensation of, like, 
an open world New York, especially with Spider-Man's powers, being able to scale and swing across buildings the way they had it was really enjoyable. Um, they kept that formula and kept making Spider-Man games too, which I mean, those are still licensed games, but they weren't movie games. Right. And they kept being good. I also, don't know if they were ever as good. I mean, coming out soon-ish is Insomniac's new Spider-Man game, they, the PlayStation 4 exclusive, yeah. which is a licensed game. And so, it looks good. And it does look good, yeah. So maybe it could start a trend of licensed games well, also, being licensed acceptable. Games, it's not that they're not good anymore. It's that they don't exist recently. I mean, like, you don't get movie games. Yeah, you know? I've noticed that. We've had, like, Shadow of Mordor. We've had the Lego games. But we haven't really those had... aren't yeah those aren't movie tie-in no, games yeah, they're, they're they're just based off of games, IP yeah. yeah and I think the reason that is is that we don't really have double A games anymore mm-hmm. and I think most licensed games tended to be at that you know that halfway point between low budget and high budget they were somewhere in between because they were just usually quick cash grabs you know right and pl- yeah plus I mean publishers I mean the the the, the license kind of put constraints on development and they were like you have to put this game out within x amount of time of this movie and a lot of times that sort of constraint is not enough for a developer right yeah i mean i think the classic example is uh et oh gosh for the nes like that guy i forget what his other game was but he in the same year made game of the year and et yeah it just goes to show that i mean a quick cash in with little development time i mean you're going to make a little bit of money, but is it really worth the hit to your rep- reputation? You know? Probably. Probably. I would say not. It, it, it isn't anymore because they're – where gaming is, like, bigger now. Right, like, gaming's evolved. It's more expensive to make a game than it used to be, I think. And also, I yeah, and I think under that's another reason why we're not seeing so many licensed games. Or that rather that we're seeing licensed games in, like – a less like blatant copied way, such as like a movie time, right. and a more intelligent developed way, such as Shadow of Mordor, just kind of takes the world and the lore of Lord of the Rings and makes its own new, fresh experience out of it. Right. Uh, licensed games aren't gone. They've just moved to mobile. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of You want to talk about that a little? I don't know much about it. I just know that... I didn't know that was a thing. It's cheap to make a mobile game. Yeah. And like, everybody has a smartphone now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of licensed games on the Android market on iOS, I assume. I haven't played any of them, but they don't look great. So these are games just based off of movies that are coming out? or They're usually like clones of whatever's popular at the time using movie characters. Okay. So like I've seen like an Infinite Runner kind of Spider-Man game, I think. Oh, I see what you're saying now. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's whatever. They're not hurting anybody. So... And they're usually free. free they, they're free to play within app purchases or something. Okay. Um, so if you had the... If you were consulted on how to make a licensed game interesting and better, how would you do it? I would say, personally, just to not sort of make a remake of the IP, but sort of take the idea and put a fresh spin on it. Right. I agree. I think, like... If you're trying to take something from another medium, like a movie or even a song, and you're trying to make a game about it, you shouldn't look at the story of the thing so much as the the feeling it gives you exactly while you're watching it. <clears throat> and then I think you should take the characters in the world 
and try to recreate that feeling instead of recreating the events of the movie, probably. I absolutely the, agree. The song. And I think that, you know, that's what I think of with the Scott Pilgrim game. That's And I certainly think developers would be happier doing that, right? right. They get to sort of flex their creative muscles. Right. I think whereas... the best licensed games are like Labors of Love. Like, they, they really love absolutely. the IP. I think, um, and I'm... I'm getting that sort of vibe from the Insomniac Spider-Man game. Yeah, I don't too. think it's like, hey, we've got a new Spider-Man movie coming out. Churn out a game. I think it's... No, I don't think they have they, anything to do with I each think other, really. They, they, they don't. They're entirely separate Spider-Man universes that's already been confirmed. Okay, good. But I think, I think it's really smart that um, Insomniac was approached... Like, they've... I don't think Insomniac has ever done a licensed game. They've always put out high-quality... Um, Sony or Microsoft exclusives, right? I would say I, I say Microsoft because of Sunset Overdrive. I don't uh, I don't know Insomniac that well. Didn't they, did they do Spyro? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They did. Then yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. Uh, no. So <laughs> yeah, their 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 track record is pretty phenomenal. Um, so did, I'm really excited to see what they did. Do they with not that. do Tony Hawk Pro Skater? Uh, I never played the Tony Hawk game, so I wouldn't know. I think they might have. I'm gonna look it up real quick. I'm gonna put my two cents in while he's looking that up. Sure. But like good licensed games like Total Warhammer or Total War Warhammer, what it's properly called, but everyone just calls it Total Warhammer. Uh, it's really good because they take the Warhammer IP that they that they were licensed, mm-hmm. and then they put it into a Total War game, which it fits really well because the Warhammer Fantasy series is about a bunch of wars between dwarves, humans, elves, vampires, orcs. Yeah, and I think. People people really react positively when they see their beloved IP um, kind of fleshed out in that way, right? Because they've already they've already they've already know the story, they already know the lore. Uh, what they don't have is something new with that beloved right. thing, and it like gives them an opportunity to be in that world almost. Also, Insomniac didn't make Tony Hawk; that was never soft. My bad. Yeah, but okay. uh, I, yeah, I think it's it's really cool. Like, there's a cool opportunity. With um, licensed games, I think. I definitely, yeah. It's hit and miss. More so miss than hit, but yeah. I don't know. I if 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 this Spider-Man game pans out, it'd be interesting to see how like and if it sets a precedent. Yeah. I, I think licensed games are in a good place right now with uh, Shadow of Mordor. I mean, Scott Pilgrim happened. Mm-hmm. That was uh, you know that was a while ago. Um, Spider-Man coming. South Park, the Stick of Truth. Yeah, they've had two games now, haven't they? The second one is currently in development, it's, but yeah. I played the first one and I thought it was fantastic. And it, yeah, and it, I I and haven't played it, but I hear it really captures. It was very the South funny, Park and it was straight up just a good game too. It was a good RPG, which was much appreciated. Um, you guys have any final thoughts? Um, I just think we're in a good place for licensed games right now. Yeah. Um. All right, our final topic today is video game peripherals. So for those who might not know exactly what a peripheral is, it's any sort of hardware that's used to enrich um, a gaming experience. So an example would be like a steering wheel that you use for a racing game or a gun that you use for a shooter and, you know, the Guitar Hero guitars or rock band drum sets. Um, is, a, is a controller a peripheral? I would, yeah, so I would say, yeah. Should we start by just saying our favorite controllers that we've ever used? Sure. Okay, mine's Steam Controller. Okay. Uh, I like it. It's got the two trackpads. Um, you're not as accurate with it as with a mouse and keyboard, obviously, but, like, I can play Kerbal Space Program from my couch with it, and that's more than I ever thought I would be able to do. Yeah. I guess I was sort of, like, going in the direction of non-traditional peripherals, but we could just talk yeah, about I think peripherals we should do both. as a whole. What about you, Michael? 
I honestly, re honestly, really enjoy the DualShock Four because I always found the DualShock controllers to be really good up until the DualShock Three, which was, eh. And then the DualShock Four comes out and takes everything that was bad about the DualShock Three and gets rid of it. So it's a really good controller in that it, it's just it feels great to use. I like the light on the back myself. Uh, yeah, that, that's also a good point. <laughs> I would probably have to go with either the GameCube controller or the Xbox 360 controller. Um, I'm partial to the GameCube one yeah, too. I mean, I yeah, I think the GameCube one edges it out. I just love the 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 giant centralized A button, you know. Yeah. So it's and that's the button you're going to be using most often. So they made it bigger, and then the the other small sort of smaller ex buttons, you know, uh, orbiting that big A button. And plus, the triggers felt really nice to press. Um, yeah, I would say GameCube controller. What about, uh, so like what kind of non-traditional peripherals have you guys used? Um, I have a joystick, like a like a flight simulator joystick. I have like, I'm having trouble explaining it. It's got like a throttle on it. It's okay, got, I can kind of visualize can, it. It, it. Like a fighter jet kind of thing. You can rotate it and it's got a second joystick on top of it that you can control with your thumb, sort of. It's got all kinds of cool stuff. It has a ton of buttons on it. And using that to fly my spaceship and Kerbal Space Program mm. was one of the most amazing things Ever. Wow, because it would actually sort of feel like a flight sim. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. It did. It was... All you need now is a VR headset, and then you're there. Oh, uh, don't tempt me. <laughs> yeah. Does... Uh, kind of tangent, but does Kerbal Space Program have a VR I'm sure there's a mod for it. It doesn't have it by default, but it's in Unity, so... Okay. It could. What about you, Michael? Uh, Favorite? Yeah. Non-standard? Um... Uh, that's a really hard one to think about because I haven't used a lot of non-standard standard they're, Yeah, they're kind of just accessories, right? You don't yeah. have to use them. I mean, I have an old Thrustmaster joystick that I use occasionally, but that's about it. Okay. Um, I would probably say I'm a sucker for the rhythm game, so I would say the, like, oh, yeah. the rock band guitar. Yeah, I enjoy um, those. Yeah, I mean... That was such a brilliant idea, you know, uh, that kind of revolutionized how rhythm games worked. Dude. Having actual instruments that act as input, yeah. Rock Band VR has almost sold me on getting a headset. Is that out? I don't think it's out yet. Yeah, that would be, I mean, I want seeing, like, life. So the crowd cool. in front of you oh my God, while you're yeah. performing. That's kind of crazy, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, some, some other notable ones that kind of just are on my mind that I know were really popular, like the Wii Fit board. Oh, yeah, I had one of those. Yeah, I had one of those, too. Like, never used it, but... And, but it's just, it's crazy that... <laughs> I don't know, cool it's, it still sort of blows my mind that that thing existed, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I'm... People it actually... It sold well, too. Yeah, no, it, it sold very well. People actually exercise using Wii Fit. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean... Nintendo was on it, that gen. Yeah, Making then, money wise. Yeah, making money wise. And then yeah. they just weren't on anything at all. Yeah. And now they're kind of on it. Yeah, they're again, pretty on so. it right now, I'd say. Um Rumble Pack on the N64? Oh yeah, that was a good That one. was a huge game changer to 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 the extent that all controllers going forward have essentially what is a built-in Rumble Pack on in their controllers. Yeah. You know. Um Yeah, another kind of revolution by Nintendo. Uh, kind of adding that extra dim dimensionality to your gameplay, actually feeling things that are occurring in the game. Very smart on their part. Um, do you guys ever use the... So I'm assuming you both play Mario Kart, right? Oh, yeah. The, the you wheel? You ever try the, yeah, the oh, wheel? Oh, my God. I yeah. actually really enjoy the wheel. That was the, the way yeah, to yeah. play, yeah. And, and 
I recently discovered that that wheel is way more popular with pe- like non gamers than I like previously oh, yeah, thought. I like some people don't even play Mario Kart unless they have a wheel. Like that's how like it's a big good, of a deal yeah. the peripheral is. It was a good wheel, like... and it worked pretty well too. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I loved that thing. Yeah, I mean, there are countless numbers of peripherals out there. Um, Connect? <laughs> Do you think the Connect would count? Yeah, I it mean, it ca- would. It counts. Yeah. Um, definitely a cool idea that sort of just isn't, it wasn't necessary at all. It, like, provided no added benefit. I mean, yeah, it gave your Xbox motion controls and, like, weird motion controls, but, I mean... Navigation would be much easier just using a controller. It was sort of more like a showpiece more than anything, I think. Yeah, I... I mean, the Kinect did not do as bad as the PlayStation Move did, though. Because at least Xbox had the mind to bundle it in with every single Xbox One they sold for so long. Well, are you saying that was a good move, though? It was a terrible move because they didn't sell much, but they still sold more connects. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, I, I love the fact that they doubled down. They were like, no, we're going to give you connect. And, and everyone was just like, all right, we're just not going to buy Xboxes then. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so my favorite, one of my fondest memories with the peripheral isn't like one of the higher tech things at all. When I was really little, I had all these Tonka games for my PC. What's a Tonka like, game? Tonka construction. So it was like, okay. Uh, some of you guys might, some of the listeners might know what that is, but basically it was a toolbox and it just, like, you attach it to your keyboard and you would press buttons on the toolbox and it pressed keys on the keyboard. It didn't actually have any, it was just a piece of plastic. I see, yeah. And it would make stuff happen in the game and it was, like, cutting wood and, like, hammering nails. It was just really silly. That's little... a very, yeah, that's a very strange peripheral. It yeah. was like little kid stuff, and it was like playing construction in a game, and I loved it. I had like two or three of them. It was one of my favorite things when I was little. Speaking of strange peripherals, what about the Steel Battalion, like, entire cockpit peripheral? The what? Wait, what? Have you not seen the Steel Battalion peripheral? I yeah, wh- why don't you describe it for us? Uh, well, imagine, you know how like a mech cockpit looks? Vaguely. Like you have all yeah, these yeah. buttons and stuff? Now imagine that in a physical peripheral for a game. So like just so the it buttons are like it's it's insanely the complex. entire like you, cockpit, the entire cockpit. Like so you have how to big flip was a button thing? to eject. Oh, I have seen this. It's like so why? is it like something you step into? Like how? Oh, uh, you work? not step. It sits in front of you. Hold on, I'll pull up a picture. It's not like the whole. It's not like the actual glass and stuff that you're looking at. It's okay. just like the control panel. I see. And it's, wow, that's pretty hardcore. But usually, okay. the, if the people have that, they've usually got the triple monitor set up, and mm-hmm. you know they have a cockpit built in their right. rooms. Usually, by the time they pay for this thing, some people are pretty dedicated. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a visual podcast, but what Michael is showing me is pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, it, it, this has pedals, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess a lot of the steering wheels came with pedals. I actually thought about building I mean, like I thought about rock buying... band drum set came with a bass pedal. I know. Uh, I love rock and, band, which was even... like the bane of my existence, dude. Like, oh, I, I know that I hurts. could not. Yeah. yeah, it destroyed my ankles. Oddly enough, Steel Battalion was an Xbox game. Really? Yes, it was an Xbox exclusive. So, so people who wanted to play this game, so I'm guessing the peripheral was optional, right? Uh, to control, the, it requires the use of a large controller made specifically for Steel Battalion. So it that requires has it. Two control sticks and around forty buttons. That's <sighs> absolutely absurd. Okay, I can't imagine Are there many sales people. Numbers on that? Yeah, many people buying that thing then. Uh, it, it was really limited, so it's, I don't know how much they sold on it. Let me see. Probably not many. 
Anyway, but, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I really considered build getting a racing wheel, some pedals, and like a stick, because I just thought you know racing. I already had a gaming PC that right. could do really high fidelity stuff. I thought it would be really cool to have <clears throat> you know a wheel that had resistance and all. But I I lost interest before I spent the hundreds of dollars. Yeah, thank God. Um, so how do you what do you guys think? Um, how do you guys think peripherals have impacted gaming as a whole? I mean, I don't see it so much as a positive or negative effect. It's sort of like an optional thing that's just kind of exists to enrich your experience. Yeah, I think they're pretty cool. I think having them as an option definitely enhanced my Kerbal Space Program experience. But I'm also really glad that the developers didn't decide to design based on you having one. Absolutely. That would have been a disastrous route to take. Right. Um, but also, you know, I'm sure that mech game was something very special because they designed around a peripheral. And, you know, like the Wii was designed around the Wii remote and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that's kind of a peripheral in games that are made but for VR. But it seems like just kind of looking at gaming as a whole, like it seems that whenever you stray too far from the core of controller, display, game box, people seem to not be as interested, you know? I mean, the fact that largely the newest consoles like the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One are, like, functionally the same as, you know, the SNES. They're still boxes that you play games in with a controller, right? I mean, you lose that familiarity when you move away from that. Mm -hmm. But I think you can do some very special things. Like, I mean, it's not really a peripheral, but, like, you couldn't have done Pokemon Go on, you know. I I guess a, a, a change in peripheral can be almost as powerful as a change in platform sometimes. It could be, yeah. Like Duck Hunt, for instance. I mean, that was big, mm. wasn't it? It oh, it certainly was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and certainly for the sort of more genre-based games, like a racing game makes sense to have a wheel. A shooting game makes sense to have a gun. Um, right. I, it's just it's for the really hardcore market. Mm-hmm, I think certainly. Um, I I I think that it's really great to have the option present. Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, like. Peripherals really could sell a game, especially going back to Steel Battalion again, because it got like an 83 on Metacritic, so it was actually a decent game. It really appealed to a lot of people who wanted to be in like a mech cockpit, so they built that around that. It really appealed to like the hardcore sim audience. And sometimes you just need to do that by offering these outrageous controller assemblies for like $200. Yeah, I mean, certainly that that didn't sell too well, but I'm... I, I'm sure that the hardcore audience very much appreciated the the gesture. Actually, Steel Battalion did break even. It sold like fifteen hundred copies in Japan. Oh, wow, well, that, that was enough to I break don't know. even. Break, yeah. It also sold. I didn't get sales numbers for America, but the producer did say it did break. But even, breaking so. even, I don't think is enough to just no. greenlight a sequel or anything like no. that. Yeah, so it did get a sequel actually. Oh wow! Yeah. So a labor of love then. I, but it did not have the complex control scheme of the previous one. Mm. But can you imagine being the guy who pitched Rock Band? Like, <laughs> he must have been laughed out of the room, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, and then that game was hugely successful. Yeah. Same with Guitar Hero, and I mean, it spawned a genre almost. It, no, I mean, rhythm it, it, gaming existed. Yeah. No, but I mean, and oh, I was gonna say we don't see rhythm games without those things, but we do. Yeah. That's a false statement. Bit trip runner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but they certainly changed rhythm games yeah, in a substantial way. Game. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so, um, just as always, every week we close out with games we've been playing or games we want to give it a shout-out to. Um, who wants to go first this week? You know, I'll go first, and I'll talk about Door Fortress for a little bit. Sweet. 
Uh, well, I haven't played it in a while, but it's still like a really solid game that's built around just figuring things out as you go along. Like, it's one of those games that you can't just start playing and understand everything immediately. You actually have to consult the wiki for hours on end to understand anything that's going on. To, sure. most, to most people, that's not a selling point, but to a very select group, it will be. Yeah, Michael, I mean, and, <laughs> Michael and I have both put some, yeah, yeah. some solid hours in Dwarf Fortress. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun once you get past that initial barrier, because then you just start causing massacres. Like, your doors will just be mining, and all of a sudden, a wall of lava comes down upon them. So what's the, what's the sort of objective of the game? Uh, lose. <laughs> yeah, there is no, um, there's no end game. Like, you just want your fortress... So, so okay, then let me you rephrase You want to make interesting things happen. Yeah, what's the, what's the core, like, gameplay loop, then? Like, what are you doing? Uh, you want to manage your fortress, and then eventually die. Yeah, you, um, yeah, you kind of play as, like, a god figure kind of thing. Okay. And you control this fortress in a kind of abstract way. Like, you say stuff that you want to be done, and then the dwarf AI will decide whether or not it even wants to do it. (laughs) And then maybe attempt it. (laughs) It's very very cool, but there's a learning curve. Well, yeah, anything that requires hours on a wiki as a barrier to entry. Like, the dwarves, if you leave them alone long enough, they'll actually start getting violent towards each other or go, like, rampaging through the fortress and tearing stuff down. Right, they'll get, they'll get bored or drunk or, or they'll become friends and then fight each other. Interesting. So the game could theoretically be played without you providing any input and just you watching how things unfold. Not for very long. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because you, you start literally out in the middle of a field and eventually wolves will descend upon you and kill you. Yeah, and they, in the, right area. the dwarves won't grow food on their own. Or so it's like it, it's it, it sounds like a very kind of open ended, kind of sandboxy, do what you want sort of game. Absolutely. I mean, there are like natural goals, like produce wealth. You can trade and stuff, but there's no end game. You know, mm-hmm. the end of the game is you dying, no matter what, or interesting dying or giving up. Uh, you said something interesting about Dwarf Fortress recently about um, kind of refresh my memory about the the quote about it simulating re- reality. Oh, what was it? It's like, it was that it is, it's like 50% of the way to simulating reality or something. Was it 50? I think it was higher. I think it was like 40%. I, okay, yeah. I don't understand how you would even calculate that. Okay, so Dwarf Fortress, yeah, I mean, the calc- it's it's not a real statistic, I don't okay, think. Okay, okay. But, I mean, Dwarf Fortress is a very complex game. Every dwarf in it has thoughts and emotions, and they make decisions based on those. They have families, they have friends. Okay. They live, they die, they eat, they... Um, it sounds incredibly robust. They have kids. There's air pressure, there's water pressure, there's temperature. <laughs> Jeez. There's weather, there's the curses. How does one manage... <laughs> so there's magic in it, too. Vaguely. I mean, magic is coming. Right now, magic... There's necromancy, so stuff can get brought back from the dead, and there's demons. But oh, okay. there's not really magic. So certainly a lot going on in the game, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, and it's like, there's just so much going on. I'll be honest. It's I, free and on PC, correct? It is free, yeah, okay. and it's on PC and Mac and Linux. Okay, nice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I got interested in Door Fortress in high school because I, I wanted to know something other people didn't know. It was like a, an almost hipster kind of attraction yeah. to me. So I remember in high school my friend Mason playing it, and... Him, like, explaining it to me, and I was just, like, I was intrigued, but, like, the sort of minimalist graphical style kind of put me off. But I definitely think I would, it would be something I would enjoy today. It's definitely, it's one of those games, 
I almost I've I've followed the Door Fortress subreddit despite the fact that I haven't played in years, because it's all it's honestly almost more fun to read about than it is to play in a lot of. Mm. Uh, a lot so of are, are people like constantly making discoveries or like? Yeah, I mean, I don't think people. You were telling me before, Michael, that people don't really know about all the types of monsters you can run into. Yeah, because they're all randomly generated. You, there's not even a list of everything that could be possible in the combinations. Okay, and it's not just like cosmetic differences. It's like significant differences that actually change the way you would approach a situation. Very cool. That's why um, Toady is so well respected in the procedural generation world. Mm-hmm. Wow, definitely interesting to see how that game develops because it certainly sounds like he's not done working on it. Yeah, um, Michael, you were telling me something interesting a second ago. Like uh, he's how long? He's been at it for ten, like ten years, and he has plans for if he dies before it's finished for the source code to go public. Wow, wow, truly a. He, Magnum opus. I don't even believe he considers it halfway done. Wow. And he's not even a coder. He's actually, like, a mathematician. Yeah, I mean, he's a coder now. Yeah. But well, yeah. He, he, had a ma- he was a math major, I believe. Interesting. Um, and it's it's all one dude. And it's, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. It's, it's a guy incredible. and his, his brother's more of an idea guy, I believe. Wow. And maybe, like, playtesting. And it's free, so is this just a labor of... It's like, donation. He lives on donations. Oh, donate. Okay. Gotcha. And he's doing pretty well right now. He has a Patreon. Oh, I nice. Okay. I, you, I read in an interview like a couple years back that he was living off nothing but Quiznos, a Quiznos sub a day <laughs> and a lot of coding. Yeah, he's doing a lot better now than he has been in the past. I, yeah, I was wondering how he was affording to feed his I certainly think he could, oh, he could oh, he's manage been to charge for the game. He's been approached by publishers before yeah. who want to pay him to continue the I guess game. Yes, he's but sticking they, by his guns. His they philosophy. want him to do things like add a user interface, add graphics and stuff. Okay. He's just not ready. The game's not ready for it yet. He doesn't want to put all that work into that when he doesn't consider the game anywhere close to finished. That's understandable. He wants to hold off so that he can do that when the game, like when it's actually going to make a difference Mm -hmm. so that he's not going to have to redo it a hundred times. Nice. Um, I'm just going to talk about my game very quickly. Um, A game I've started in the past week, I've put like less than an hour into it, but it really kind of grabbed my attention. Is a game called Ori and the Blind Forest. Um, have you, either of you heard of it? I've heard very good things. Yeah, it's, so it's a 2D Metroidvania type game, um, on PC, um, I I think think it's on, on, no, it's on Steam, yeah, Yeah, so it's on Steam and Xbox, I think, only. Um, yeah, it's not on, I know it's not on PlayStation 4, but, um, it's, it's a, it's a 2D Metroidvania platformer where you sort of level up your skills, uh, you progress through the world. Um, the most striking thing to me about it, though, is the art style. It's got one of the most gorgeous art styles I've ever seen. Like, the the 2D animation and just the background work is... Each scene is, like, is is gorgeous and immediately captures your attention. Like, some serious work went into the art in this game. And it was made in Unity, too, just incidentally. Really? Um, yeah, other than that, I don't have too much to say about it, other than... It, it's it really sort of captured my attention. I can't wait to go back to it. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. Um, I've played it a little bit. I haven't finished it yet, but um, it's one of it's one of my best friends. Uh, it's his favorite platformer of all time. Yeah, no, so, I mean critically, it's been doing extremely well. Yeah, um, the definitive edition came out this year, I think, but the game's been out a while. Yeah, for a couple of years. I think I it actually say. came out last gen. Really? No, I, I thought got... it came out 
around the time Xbox One. Yeah, but it was it released on 360. I think. Oh, it did. Okay. I think. What game? Ori well, and the Blind Forest. I think. Yeah, I think it came out last gen. Well, regardless, excellent Metroidvania and platformer with a gorgeous art style. If you're into that sort of thing, definitely check it out. Um, why don't you round us out, Connor, with what you've been playing? Uh, I It's not really what I've been playing. It's what I played once this weekend, but it was uh, the Japanese Tetris game on the Nintendo Switch. All right, so my first question is, what is difference, different between Japanese Tetris and I couldn't read any Tetris. of the menu items. I didn't know what was going on. Menu items? That was the, like, so isn't Tetris sort of self-explanatory? So... Or? Mostly, I think there were there was a lot of menu navigation that Jordan had to get through to get us into the Tetris. Okay. And once we started playing it, it was the Tetris I I knew and loved. But there multiplayer? were multiplayer. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Which right. I had never. That was the thing I'd never played before. We were having a three-player multiplayer Tetris, which I didn't know was a thing. Yeah. Neither did I. It was just uh, it was three different Tetris games going on at once. But if you like destroyed more than one layer at a time, then you would build a layer, sometimes a layer with gaps in it, or with, like, annoying gaps in it on someone else's board. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was just really frantic trying to keep up. A I, lot was, of mayhem and fun. I mean, everybody's played Tetris, but, you know, it was fun. And also, there was a character select. I don't know why, but... I mean, there, yeah. did you ever see your character at any point in the no, game? No, there were voices. But okay. they yeah. had all these different, like, yeah, they had pictures for the characters and everything and a select. Very interesting. I guess, yeah. you know, after decades, you got to figure out some way to make Tetris. Yeah, I didn't get different. it. And this was just the demo, but I think, I don't think Jordan paid for it. Mm. But it was really fun. I mean, I, would, nice. I wouldn't have asked anything more of it than what we were given for free. <laughs> yeah, so, like, what would the actual game be like? I have no idea. I couldn't read I mean, it. I Tetris is Tetris, right? It played an ad after every game, but, like, mm. we couldn't understand it. Interesting. It sounds like fun, though. Yeah, I enjoyed it. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week, guys. I'm Ahmed Mion. Uh, Thank you guys for joining me, Michael and Connor. Um, See you next week. Bye.